Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Today is going to be an exciting day. It's going to be a great day. We're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff, but I want to start with a good question, and this is it. Are you ever annoyed with overly happy people? You ever met somebody that's just happy all the time, and you're like, how? How is that possible? Like, like, don't you deal with annoying things in your life? Have you ever sat next to somebody who smacks when they eat? Like, have you ever been in traffic? Don't you have to pay bills? Like, do you drive anywhere at all? Do you have to go to work? Like, it just feels weird. If, if somebody else is happy and you're not in on it, it's kind of annoying, isn't it? I think that's how a lot of people sometimes feel when they think about church. Most people don't think about church and go, woo! They don't wake up Sunday morning and go, man, this is going to be the most exciting part of my day. A lot of people in a lot of generations, um, and you can help fill in the blank of what you think people would say here, church is boring. Yeah. Some are like, ooh, are we supposed to say this? Yes. That's how people see it. For a lot of people, going to church is very similar to going to the dentist. For example, it's something they put off until their wife makes them go. When they get there, they feel bad that they don't come more often. Their personal habits are questioned and they feel guilty. They walk out beat up and a little bit broke and then they lie to you about coming back soon. It feels like going to the dentist's office. That's how a lot of people perceive church and yet that's not the way God intended. Psalm chapter 121 verse 1 says this, I rejoice. Do y'all know what that word means? Let's see. Let's find out. On the count of three, I'm going to say rejoiced, and I want you to do what you think that should look like. Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> Pretty good. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to church. I rejoiced with those, thank you, that said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Some of you are like going, what? I have never had that reaction with the idea of going to church, and yet a lot of you have, and that's one of the things I love about this church. I love that you guys get excited to be here. I love that you talk. I get people that come in and they'll like speak and they're guests and sometimes, and they go, man, it's fun to preach at your church. And I'm like, I know. Y'all are amazing. And I love that. There is a thing that we like to get excited about. We don't want to be the boring people. And even in, in Old Testament days in Jesus, and then in New Testament days in Jesus' time, the rabbis did not see joy as a part of what was connected to their experience of God in church. It was a list of rules and mandates that they were trying to keep up with, or there was a sense of guilt and shame that accompanied it. And so the idea of somebody saying, let's rejoice, let's celebrate when we go to the house of the Lord, let's celebrate victoriously as believers, would have been new. So today I want to talk about God as the ultimate party planner. That's our objective today. We've been talking through our kind of core values series. These are the hills we'll die on. This is why we call it Rally Cry. We talked about on the first week, connect and grow. Then last week was serve. And today it is celebrate. And it is a natural part of the Christian faith and supposed to exist. See, we are supposed to celebrate moments that we never want to forget. Today's going to be a little bit participatory at times. And so I'm going to ask you to participate right now. And maybe even take this as a challenge not to talk to the same person you rode here with. Some of you that are creatures of habit are already been, like you haven't heard anything I've said because you're like, he didn't do the greeting thing at the beginning of the message. <laughs> it's because we're doing it right now. 
Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you some instruction. I want you to stand up. Put your stuff down. Stand up for a minute. And you're going to look around you in here. But I want you to, you're not just going to say hi. I want you to say something to some people. And here's what I want you to say. What is something God's done for you in your past that you're celebrating today? What's something God has done in your life that you would celebrate today? Find somebody around you that you don't maybe know as well and didn't ride her with and talk to them. Right now, go ahead. Make sure you get a name. Find out the name of the person you're talking to. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. Now here's what I love about that. There's a million questions I could have asked you guys and you might have had to take a minute to think about it. I asked you what you could celebrate that God's done in your life, and this room immediately erupted in conversation. Do you know why? Because we remember things that matter. We remember things that matter, and God is calling us to celebrate things that he never wants us to forget. It's critical to the Christian faith. If you go to Leviticus chapter 23, I'm going to read a few verses where you get to see God instituting his party plan. Now, this is the place, if you're going like, where's Leviticus? If you've ever done a read through the Bible in a year program and you got to month three, this is where you quit. Okay? So we're in the book of Leviticus. I'm going to look at chapter 23, verse 1. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my, my, this is God talking, these are my appointed times, the times the Lord will proclaim as sacred assemblies. So he's telling you, before we continue, there are appointed times by God that he's going to call sacred assemblies. Um, pastor and author Alan Hirsch says, what this is instituting is Jesus takes the party or the celebration and makes the celebration a sacrament. It is a sacred act instituted by God himself. In verse 3, it says, work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there's to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. Notice he says, a complete rest, comma, a sacred assembly. It's not a disconnection from all people. It is actually a deep connection with people and with God. He says, you're not to do any work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. These are the Lord's appointed times and the sacred assemblies that you are to proclaim at their appointed times. Now, I'm not going to have you read all of Leviticus 23, uh, but I'm going to tell you some of them that he's going to set up. First of all, he sets up the Sabbath. He says, I want to set a day aside. And it's not actually set up. I know it's going to be shocking. It's not actually set aside for football. Although I also love football. It's not set aside for football. It's not a set, a set aside for Netflix. It's not even necessarily set aside for naps. Although you can enjoy all of those things on the Sabbath, it's actually a group celebration remembering who God is and all he has done for us. Then he goes on to other ones like the, the, the feast and the festival of unleavened bread, of first fruits, of weeks, of trumpets, of tabernacles. And if I could summarize those into what, he celebra what they're celebrating, is they're celebrating the harvest, which is God has um, in his provision provided for us and come through in wonderful and miraculous ways. But not only that, they celebrate the temporary. They celebrate that this world is temporary. 
They celebrated in, in their culture knowing that when I die, I, I say this at a lot of funerals, and some of you have heard me say it in here before. There's this quote that I love. It says that we, we th go to a funeral, we think that we're in the land of the living and will one day go to the land of the dying. But the opposite is true. As a believer, we live in the land of the dying and we will one day go to the land of the living. And so they go, man, this place is temporary, which means anything that they struggle with is also... You see the celebration for them? The brokenness and the darkness of the world they live in was also what? Yo, come on, 1045, I need you to say it. There was also what? It doesn't last forever. The one day they'll go to a place that lasts forever, and it will be a perfect paradise with our Heavenly Father. They celebrated that. There was a two others that I want to talk about they celebrated. They celebrated Passover. I don't have time to do a deep dive into this, but I want you to know this, the Passover was a celebration of God's protection and God's rescue, and it pointed to Jesus. How do we know a point of Jesus? Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, refers to Jesus as the Passover lamb. That's who he is. Then there's what's called the Day of Atonement, which is a, one, one of the cool ones in the Old Testament. It's, it's outlined in Leviticus chapter 16. And if you go, man, like, how is, how is this related to our salvation? Well, there's two lambs that are involved in this process, and one of them has to die. It has to shed blood. And you go, why is, have, do you have to shed blood? Hebrews chapter 9 says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. This is the whole purpose of the cross. But at this time, they're living before the cross, and so they're doing regular sacrifices. But like I said, there were two lambs. There was one lamb that was killed, and it was a sacrifice. It was this animal that was given for atonement. Its blood was shed so that our blood did not have to be. But then there was the, another, uh, another, it was a goat, actually, and they would call it the scapegoat. Anybody ever heard that word before? Usually not in this context, right? So a scapegoat was another goat that they would actually sprinkle some of the blood of the sacrificed animal on it, and they would send it running off into the wilderness, an image of taking our sins far, far away. So one was the atonement and the other one is the substitution. It takes on our sins and takes them as far, the Bible will say, as far as the east is from the west. You see the obvious picture of Jesus here. This is why in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus approaching on the day that Jesus is actually going to be baptized, he says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It's salvation and freedom. That's this celebration. Anybody in here excited about salvation and freedom in your life? <laughs> yeah, that, that is good stuff for us, man. So the celebration for them is always going to point to something greater than they could have possibly imagined, and it's supposed to be the truth for us. See, celebration is a combination of two things. I've got this on the screen. Remembering and anticipation. It's these two things. What God did, what you remember, and the anticipation of what God will do. See, as we remember the past and all the times God has come through and we can be he can be trusted, and it doesn't matter what you're going through right now, I can trust that God is still at work in my now and is, going to, and is also still at work in my future. It's this great understanding that God is always up to something. We remember and we anticipate. How many of you in this room believe right now God is still on the move doing stuff? And that is good. I want us to remember a little bit more. Let's go backwards a little bit. It's one of my favorite pastor scripts. You've heard me preach on it. If you've been here for eight and a half years, you've heard me preach on it 50 times. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. I want you to remember this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with what? Faith. 
awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed throughout the apostles. Now all the believers were where? Together. And they held everything in common. And they sold their possessions and their property. And they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day. How often? Every day. They devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple. They were having church. And they broke bread from house to house. Not only were they having church, they weren't just wandering in here and having disconnected relationships. They were leaving and they were eating with the very people that they were doing church with. They were doing life with these people. As a matter of fact, if you, like, I want you to look around at somebody you didn't ride here with and go, you want to go to lunch? <laughs> I'm not saying we're paying. I'm just saying like you could consider it. Okay. Like, that's something we should make a part of our life. Break bread together. Build relationships together. That's why it was so exciting last Wednesday night when we kicked off our groups. I mean, it was so cool. There was a couple of hundred people in new small groups here, and it was loud, and it was crazy, and it was so much fun to watch and, and rejoice in connection as people talked and connected. Anyway, it says that they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of some of the people. Thank you. All the people, and every day, who added, church? The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. These were people filled with the Spirit of God, filled with supernatural joy, filled with a supernatural sense of celebration, and they passed it to us. It is our turn. It's our turn to demonstrate this to the world. So we remember, and this is the part where we get to anticipate. We anticipated, you've heard me say this before, that the Bible is not a book about what God used to do. The Bible is a book about what God is doing right now today. If you're going, well, well, Jason, I don't know. I don't think God's doing the same stuff he was doing back then. Uh, you did not see that in the Bible. The Bible does not have a, a stopping point for the moves and the actions and, the, and, the, and the, the wonderful miracles and wonders of the Holy Spirit. I believe that it is just as alive today. He is doing that stuff now. I love when we get to, to remember and anticipate. I, I remember when I first came to Crossroads. Crossroads, if you don't know the story, had been through a pretty rough season. The previous pastor, a wonderful, wonderful man, great pastor, had died of a heart attack in the parking lot of this church. And the church went through a season of mourning. As you can imagine, there was a lot of people that it was just hard to walk back in that little red brick building over there. It was just hard to do because you're, you're dealing with mourning and grief and all those kind of things. And a year passed, and I got to come in, and let me tell you, there is no class that you take that says, how do you come in and lead a church that is mourning the loss of a beloved pastor? It's a challenge. And so one of the things we did, almost by accident, was we just went, okay, it's small, right now there's, there's, there's just a whole lot of need, we're just going to start celebrating anything, anything. A guest shows up, woohoo! Like, we had enough money in those days to keep the lights on. So coming into work and flipping the switch and the light coming on, you're like, praise God, this is good stuff, man. You celebrated little things. My office was in the kitchen. I didn't even have to get out of my office chair to get my lunch. I just rolled and turned around, right? Like, which probably wasn't a good thing. I should have got some sips in. I'm just saying... You had to find little things to celebrate. I remember in 2015, I got here in the middle of 2015, the, the church was doing, they were just striving so hard to follow God and honor God, and yet financially the church was, was not doing good. And in those six months, we, we, we barely scraped by, and, and I remember the beginning of 2016, we were like, man, I, I don't know, we're, we're going to have to hope God you know, shows up in some way, because right now we're, we're, we're barely getting by. And it was an amazing thing that by March of 2016, we had met budget for the year. 
And every pastor I knew said, don't tell your church. And I said, why? They said, because they'll stop giving. And with all due respect, then and now, I said, you don't know our church. Like, they've come through a lot, and they are faithful to God. And it was such a cool thing to watch that moment. If you ever wonder where we launched into so many of the missional things we do today, where 50-50 giving and all that stuff came from, it came from that moment of God took care of us for the year in less than 90 days. So we're like, God, whew, everything else is a surplus. And we're just going to live in that. We're gonna, it's going to be an incredible blessing. And I sit here today, and I just, man, I, I mean, when I see, we saw God open doors we never thought could open. We saw God work miracles we didn't know could happen. We saw lives transformed and ministry started. And we said, how is that possible? And I sit here today and go, I know God's calling us to more, and I don't know how it's possible, but I didn't know how it was possible then, and God showed up. So if I don't know how it's possible now, that's still okay because I have a God that shows up. And I'm excited about that. It's good stuff. We can anticipate See, the church is a people of celebration today, right now. And do you know celebration is a natural response? We all kind of celebrate the same. As a matter of fact, I found a way I wanted to prove this to you. Let me describe it. It was a Wednesday night at the end of our last, uh, uh, last semester of Wednesdays at Crossroads. That night, a little baseball team called the Texas Rangers was playing in the World Series. <laughs> a bunch of our young adults and interns and Wes and I had to stay back. We cleared this room of chairs because we were having carpets clean the next week and it was easier to do with a lot more people. But the game was going and it was getting interesting. And if they win that, they win the World Series. And so all of us decided we, we can't leave. So we didn't. Once we got all the chairs out, we took some of the furniture in the welcome area and put it right here and turned that on. <laughs> and I wanna show you, I happened to film a video clip that night of the group of people that was there. And I want you to look at something as you watch it. I want you to watch the, because you'll see in, in the background, you'll see the actual baseball game on the screen, and in the foreground, you'll see all of the people in our church. I want you to watch, even though these two groups of people are not together, watch the similarities in how they celebrate. Check it out. all the similarities people fall down on one place people fall down the other people bouncing in one place and running and done and then they all end up in a huddle jumping up and down it is because we are hardwired for celebration and that celebration can be aimed at all these small things and that's fine but our real celebration is reserved for a holy god that's where we're supposed to aim this stuff at the problem is that our celebration gets hijacked all the time You've experienced this in your life. Let me tell you a few things it gets hijacked by. Number one, it gets hijacked by silence. Have you ever been in a moment where you really want God to show up and right now you're just hearing crickets and you're wondering where God is at? You think back to what's called the intertestamental period between Micah 
Um, in the book of Matthew, there's this period of 400 years of silence, and then God breaks the silence, Jesus shows up on the scene. But for 400 years, there's silence. What do you do in the silence? I remember in 2012, my son Zach, we thought we were going to lose Zach. He, I don't want time to go into all the medical stuff. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. We, we didn't know if he was going to make it. And there in the hospital, I remember having these, these moments and these prayers. And one of my prayers was like, God, I, just, I need you to take care of him. I just don't need, God, wrap him in a bubble. I don't want anything to happen to him physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, just for the rest of his life. And then there was a thought that occurred to me as a parent, as, as reality began to sit in, and that was this. In the most difficult and at times in the most quiet moments of my life is where I learned to trust God the most. And I realized that I had a 12-year-old son in the other room that actually needed this moment and said, okay, God, I'm going to pray a different prayer. I don't need you to make him safe. Just get him close to you. And that's my prayer for my kids and it's my prayer for all of you. I hope that's the prayer for your kids and your family. It can be deafening when you want so much to hear what's next and what's going to happen and how's this going to go and, and you don't hear a word yet. I'll give you an example that's happening in our church and, and I was encouraged and have permission to share this a few weeks ago. Some of you guys know Wes and Caitlin Barnett. If you don't know Wes, one of our teaching pastors and over student ministry. Um, Wes and Caitlin found out that they were expecting and they were very excited about that news and then just this last week they found out they had lost that child. Um, Wes and I were going to co-teach today and uh, the reason that, that we're not is because they're, they're going through some medical things that happen when that all occurs and it's going through a difficult time. And I'm going to tell you, in this moment, I imagine for them, just like all of you can relate to a difficult time in your life, it feels like God is silent. And I would just say, our God is active in the silence. Don't let silence rob you of your celebration. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 24 says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Silence is an opportunity to reflect on the goodness of God. It's an opportunity to worship a God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And often, I would just say this, not always. Sometimes silence is due to our own sin. Sometimes silence is due to a, a something else in our life. But I think sometimes we mistake silence because we so associate silence with punishment. Any of you ever been in an argument with somebody, married people, where one of you decided to slap the other one with silence? Somebody decided to just to go quiet on the other one as a form of punishment? I think we take that and we think God's doing the same thing to us. But what if God's doing something different in the silence? What if, have you ever noticed that like when you're watching like a game show and they're about to announce something amazing, what do they do right before that? And the winner is silence. They wait. Same thing happens in a song, right? You got a good song where something really cool is about to happen. And one of my favorite moments to play I'm a, as a musician is when all of the music stops and then it builds and then the beat drops, the moment hits. I got an example of a song like that. Some of you guys have heard it. You've sang it with us before. It's called Death Was Arrested. I want you to listen to how this band does it. Just let the anticipation wash over you. Go ahead. You can sing along if you know it. I see you display on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoices though heaven had lost.
to celebration. Because in the silence, you're learning to trust in the promises of God. And you're actually learning to celebrate that I trust my God will come through. And so even in the silence, I can celebrate what's coming. Because I can trust that God is always on the move. Are you with me, church? Come on. As a matter of fact, can I just say this? That is kind of the basis of the entire Christian faith. Is that we had a Friday at one point in human history where everything got real quiet for a second. And three days later, in a graveyard, a stone rolled away, and all of creation got real loud, real fast. And that is good news for us. I want to keep moving here. It's not only hijacked by silence, it can be hijacked by expectation. What you expect to happen can impact how you experience it. If you're on a vacation and you're going to go to the airport and you expect to have a short security line, it will impact your experience if it is a long security line and you've got to wait for a long time. We all know, raise your hand if you've ever messed up, made a mistake. Yeah, but if you go get fast food and they forgot your fries, it can impact your expectation and how your whole day will go. In a relationship, when you go, man, I hope this person says this, does this. I hope this interaction goes this way. You want it. It's based on an expectation. What if you're a Cowboys fan? Anybody ever been wounded by expectation in that relationship? Absolutely. Uh, it's the hope that kills you. Like, that's the problem. See, expectations are powerful. When they're not met, we tend to rush to disappointment, anger, and bitterness. And so we do the same thing with God. We say, I go to church, I got into a group, I read my Bible, I contribute, I serve, but my marriage is still a mess. My friendships are still suffering. I still don't feel seen and valued at work. My, my finances are a wreck. This whole Jesus thing just isn't working out. There's a gap between our expectation and our experience with God. But it's not an expectation he set, it's an expectation we set. And it makes it hard for us to celebrate ourselves. To be honest, it also makes it hard for us to celebrate other people. And in the process of doing that, we actually rob the community of people who need the encouragement God is trying to bring out of it, us, because we don't want to celebrate what God's doing in their life if he hasn't yet done what I want him doing in mine. And we need to stop that. Expectation can be the enemy of celebration. It can also be the enemy of spreading the gospel. When it's not my plan, when it's not my timing, you have to be cautious. See, that leads to the next one. We're often hijacked by perspective. Anybody ever been in a situation where you really want God to do something and he does not understand how fast you need it to happen? We have to learn to celebrate a little bit differently. Hey, 23 years ago when Zach was born, I remember going into my pastor's office. His name is Tommy Tackett. And uh, I said, Tommy, hey, I'm going to be a dad. And he said some words to me that have stuck with me forever. He said, uh-uh. You already are. He reminded me not to be slow to celebrate. See, here's the thing, and I want you to get this thought in your head for a minute. Just because something is still in process doesn't mean you have to wait to celebrate. Our whole Christian life is a life in process, isn't it, church? We want to celebrate the steps along the way. Now, I grew up partially country, and what I was told in the country was, do not count your chickens before they hatch. In other words, no chickens, no celebration. But I don't think that's true of our spiritual life at all. When you're slow to celebrate, it might actually keep you from experiencing the victory of the things God has been doing. Progress is a reason to celebrate. 
We call it sanctification in the Christian life, where you go, I'm not who I want to be. That's true. You're also not who you were. Can we celebrate the progress? Satan loves attacking slow progress and slow starts. Let me show you why. Very rarely in life do you start somewhere with an objective, a goal, whatever it is, and go, I'm going to get from here to there in one step. So usually you have to take one small step, and then another small step. And this right here, early and slow, is where Satan loves to come in. Because on slow starts and slow progress, if he can attack you here, he can keep you from ever accomplishing the thing that God has planted in you to do. And he knows it's easier here. It's easier here because you don't see all the progress yet. It's easier here because you just got started. And so he wants to attack here. Do you know why? Because that sucker knows what happens if you get to the other side. And he is terrified of the people of God, the church of God, rising up to do the work and the mission of God. And so I would say, man, learn to celebrate those things in process. You can end a life of celebration and all those things. It's awesome. So it's speed, but it's also obstacles. How many of you right now, you don't have to say what it is, but if you have had or currently have an obstacle or something in front of you that is keeping you from celebrating, raise your hand. Yeah, a bunch of people around this room and a whole bunch of people that probably didn't put their hand up. It's an issue of perspective. In other words, anybody ever played this game where you look at people, like I'm, I'm looking at Aaron Gagne right here and I'm like, I can squish your head. I can squish your head, Josh. I can squish your head. Let's see you over here. <laughs> what up, Brian? Yo, no, 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 I got you, I got you. <laughs> He's trying to dodge me. Okay, it's an issue of perspective. Because if I were to walk over to one of these guys, I mean, Aaron, I, there's no way I can get my fingers around that head. That's just not going to work. And there's no way I could put the force together to actually crush it. It's an issue of perspective. The reason that this is more prominent is because of what it's, I'm closest to. See, don't miss this, church. The reason many of us are having a hard time celebrating is not because God hasn't shown up in your life. It's because you are more focused on the problem than you are your Savior. It's because you, you haven't been able to celebrate what God is and has always done because the thing that you are holding closest to you is the obstacle. It's the same reason if you, if you read scripture, and one of my favorite stories, David and Goliath, and I, I love seeing this, and we make it a kid's story. I don't know why. It ends with him chopping a dude's head off. There's not a coloring sheet for that. Like, I don't know. I don't know what you would do. We need a lot of reds in here. Get some red color at crayons, guys. Like, it's, it's weird, but here's, the, here's why I love it. Everybody else, for, uh, for days and days and days, everybody looked out onto a battlefield, and the giant they saw was a guy over nine foot standing with a spear that was declaring he had victory over everything. And when David looked out there, he also saw a giant, but the giant he saw was a God that was big enough to squash that nine foot tall dude with no problem. It's a matter of what your perspective is, and it impacts your celebration. Let me keep going. We're also hijacked by the temporary. Oftentimes we spend our time celebrating things that are so insignificant in our life. And I'm not saying they're bad things, but they are not the ultimate or utmost in your life. There was this great moment in the NFL season. It was the Buffalo Bills and Pittsburgh Steelers in a playoff game. And there had been a huge snowstorm that had come through Buffalo, New York. And they put out information to all their fans. Hey guys, we want to celebrate a victory. Can you come and shovel the stadium clear. Every chair, every walkway, the field. And they did. Only for their team that they thought was worthy of celebration to blow it in the dumbest fashion possible seven days later. 
And all those people that put all that effort and work in realized that the thing they were celebrating was just temporary. What does the Bible celebrate? Because that's what we want to celebrate. Luke 15, 32, it's the story of the prodigal son. And I love the way this is said. Jesus speaking. If you read this in your Bible, it's in red letters. This is Jesus talking. He says, we had to celebrate. I love the phrasing. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate. Check this out. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Just one. Just one. And if we get a hold of just one, never mind two, three, four, five, six, ten, ten, a thousand, but even just one, we had to celebrate. Jesus is pro-celebration. He values celebration. It's a huge part of the Christian life. I love the story of the book of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, which means everybody hated him. Horrible, horrible person. And as soon as he came to know Christ, I mean, I'm talking fresh out of the baptistry with his new t-shirt on. That sucker threw a party for all of his former co-workers and drinking buddies so they could meet Jesus too. And I love his heart. I want Crossroads Church to always feel like a Matthew party. That in our church and in your homes, we're always inviting people who are far from Jesus to come and meet him. Man, let that be our life. As a matter of fact, next week we have a, a huge service in the life of our church called the Super Bowl of Preaching. And I would say if you've never been to it, it's different. It's very different. But let me tell you, as much fun, as much celebration, as much of that as we will put into it, I want you to know that for eight and a half years as we've done this, we are ninth one. We have said the same thing over and over again. That no matter how much fun and laughter and everything we infuse into that, there's two things we will and cannot ever sacrifice. We can never sacrifice great worship to an almighty God, and we can never sacrifice passionate preaching of the word of God in that space. And if we ever dropped that, then it would become something that we no longer wanted to be a part of. And so it's so important that you understand, even as you come in next week, the whole room's going to look different. Like, we're going to freak all of you out. <laughs> Bring friends. I'm going to tell you what, it's been so cool. We get people that are skeptics, they come in. We get people that are not believers, people that are not connected to churches. And over and over again, we've had people come and go, man, I can't tell you how much I needed that. And I'm going to tell you, what we're preaching on next week is the fifth of our core values and is the word of God and its impact on our life. And I'm going to tell you, man, come Join us, be a part of it. It will be a tremendous celebration. Don't let these things hijack your celebration. Let me, let me quickly give you a theology of celebration that I want us to get into our heart. The first thing is this, that celebration is contagious. When people come to in church, they, they should be able to recognize that they are not among a defeated people. That we are people who have hope. There's no such thing as a hopeless Christian. You go through struggles, you can go through difficult times, but hopeless should never be our identifier. And I love that about you. Even when I came here for the very first time, this precedes my life, my ministry in this place. There was a contagious spirit in this church. It drew us here. The unity of this place drew us here. It was just different, weird, in the best possible way. And I loved it. Can I just tell you, we need to be different. We need to crave for everyone in the world to understand and live in the victory of Jesus Christ. We, as believers, if, real quick, if, you're a belie if you are a Christian, a surrendered life that has given your life to Jesus, then you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Raise your hand. Yeah, thank you, right there. And let me tell you something. Those should be the most joy-filled, celebrating people on the planet because we got something better to cheer for than anybody else on the planet. 
That is good stuff for us. Celebration is contagious. Also, celebration magnifies the message. Go back to Matthew for a minute. I'm not going to read the whole text, but I'm going to tell you what happened. He invites Jesus and the disciples and religious leaders over to his home, along with his dinner guests. And many tax collectors and all these, what they call disreputable sinners showed up. And the religious leaders are complaining. How in the world could Jesus hang out with these terrible people? And that's when Jesus says, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, it is the sick that need a doctor. God is confronting in them a lack of love. God is confronting in them a lack of celebration. See, I know this sound, when we think about connect, grow, serve, word of God, then we get to celebrate, everybody kind of thinks of that one sometimes as a little bit lesser. Like it's just us going, yay, but that's not it. When we mess up celebration in the Christian faith, it messes people up. It has an impact on others. It robs people of seeing what's different. If they walk into church and church looks as filled with despair as the world does, what are they coming for? It's disheartening. If they listen to a world that isn't transparent, they're not willing to share their sins and their struggles so they can't ever celebrate God moving and helping accomplish things in them. If they come into church and it looks the same as it does out there, it messes people up. We have to celebrate well. I love Matthew's celebration because Matthew's celebration magnifies the message of Jesus to others. Raise your hand if you are a believer and you go, I have been given something I didn't deserve. Raise your hand. That is the whole definition of grace. You got something you didn't deserve. If you got something you didn't deserve, don't sit on that information. Tell everybody. Tell as many people as you can what God has done for you. And that leads to the last thing. Celebration connects the mission to eternity. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. I love this because we live in a culture now that is very, I mean, it's always been this way, but right now I feel like I get messages and emails. And there's nothing wrong with this, by the way. Don't hear me saying don't send me these questions. But they're like, when's the end? Are we close to the end? Is it end of days? Is the end of time? Da, 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 da. Can I tell you something? Um, it, I, I say this every time. First of all, we're closer than we were yesterday. I can tell you that. No question. But you want to know when the end is? It's weird. We tend to attach the end of time to a series of events. The Bible attaches more of when the end hits. Now, he talks about the events. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But the timing isn't connected to the events so much as it is connected to the mission. Let me explain what I mean. Matthew 24, 14. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to the nations, and then the what, church? And will come. See, this obsession we have for the end needs to be an obsession to take the people, or take the party to the people. That we wake up with this thing on our heart that says, I don't want anybody, not one person I know, to spend one more day without Jesus because he's just that good. That's what I want for them. And if we fail at this, you're going to have people thinking that the world offers them joy, but it's never going to satisfy. The world offers them hope, but it's never going to satisfy. We have a world that is walking through mirages, and the world is pointing, culture is pointing them to these mirages in the desert where they go and they try to get a drink, but all they're getting is sand. It's not feeding or fueling their life. And they go, one day, one day I would love to experience life. One day I would love to drink from living water. One day I would love that. See, if we succeed, one day can be today. It can be right now. 
that people can enjoy God and a relationship with him, that one day they can live in a world free from abuse and injustice, a world lacking nothing, a world where everybody knows that Satan is defeated and death is dead. That one day can be today. See, this is God's unstoppable plan, and there is no matter of how much effort, it will never slow down, it will keep coming. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved to us that it cannot be stopped. We do not serve a dead God. We serve a God who is alive. Jesus Christ is alive right now and forevermore. See, the church, and I love, I love our local churches. We have so many great ones around here, man. We want the fire of revival and the passion of Christ to fill this one, but man, we're not trying to be crossroads-centric. We want it to hit every church in our area, every church in our state, in our country, and around the world. We want to see an eruption of people returning to the truth of Jesus Christ all over this world because the church is not, has never been a building. Buildings are great tools, but that's not a church. The church is not a website. It's not a group of people gathered on stage. The church is a saved army of people taking this mission to every place that we live and work and play to celebrate the name and the power of Jesus Christ that saved us. We're going to end a little different today. Some of you probably walked in and when we, I got up here, you were like, dang, short music today. It's because we wanted to go from silence to celebration. So right now, as we think about this, as we let this impact us, we're going to sing. We're going to sing like free people, like saved people, like redeemed people sing. One day, when our life is over, we will enter into heaven. We will enter into the throne room of God. And I will tell you, I don't know how long it'll take, but the first response you'll have is to fall at your face and to worship him and probably in silence for a while. But there will come a moment. I don't know how long it's going to take. There will come a moment when we stand back up and we're going to join the song that is happening in heaven and we're going to sing around the throne of God and it will be something we have never been able to possibly imagine before. But just for today, for those of you that are believers in Christ, can we try to have a little bit of heaven on earth? We're going to worship our God right now. This is called the throne room song. Stand and join us.